This podcast is intended for mature audiences only. This is a Vault Studios production. It's August 22nd, 2018. Just over a year and a month since Nanette Krentel was discovered in the ashes of her burned out home. A year and a month since an autopsy revealed she'd actually died of a gunshot wound to the back of her head. And a year and a month without any answers, without any suspects. Nanette's sister, Wendy Watson, has moved out of the area and now lives in South Carolina. But she remembers those months and the lack of news like it was yesterday. You know, they never called us to meet with us. They never called um, to set up, um, you know, an investigation with us or to interview us or to talk about Nan and talk about, you know, her background and talk about our life and to rule us out. None of us ever got ruled out as a suspect. In fact, over those 13 months, Nanette's family has watched the case go from one detective to another. And still, they've been left asking the same questions over and over. Why was the scene of her murder released the next day, then resecured days later? Why weren't more neighbors questioned in the days after the fire? Why was her husband, the fire chief, Steve Krentel, allowed to roam the property freely for days after the fire? And those are just some of their questions. They'd also been asking to see the video that investigators believed was Nanette on the morning of the fire. We have been begging to see the video because when we kept calling and all of us kept calling and I kept calling and harassing them about this video that because to their not to, what they were trying to tell us was that Steve was at work when the fire started and that Nan was at McDonald's the morning of and that they could clearly see that it was Nan. So I said, well, I want to see that video. They held on to that video for a year and a half. So on this August day in 2018, investigators finally set up a meeting with Nanette's family to talk about the investigation, what they know and what they don't know. For Vault Studios and WWL-TV, I'm Katie Moore. This is Beyond Bardstown, Lacombe. In the room with investigators that day, Nanette's sister Amy, her brother Chad, and Amy's daughter Shelby. Calling in, her father Dan Watson, her sisters Wendy and Kim, and Kim's longtime boyfriend Randy Grotkin. The phone call, recorded by the family, begins pleasantly enough. Sheriff Randy Smith. Hey, how you doing? Well, we're doing good. We're getting some information out to you guys. Uh, before we release any of this to the media or to the public, we wanted to give you an update where we're at and where we're going and um, wanted to meet with the family first before doing so. Well, thank you. Sheriff Smith then makes introductions. First, Nanette's family members in the room. We've got Chad and Amy here. Shelby. Shelby's here. And the team of investigators he's gathered together to walk the family through the case. Uh, Detective Buckner, uh, myself, Lieutenant Repo, Sergeant Hotard, Deputy Sheriff Smith then jumps right in to talking about the video that may show Nanette Krentel's whereabouts the day she was found dead. This is a video that still hasn't been released to the public, but Nanette's family members in the room have just seen it for the first time. Before we get started, we just reviewed 
identified as her uh, Nan's, Nan's vehicle. Um, Amy, you want to give us an update on the video y'all just watched? Yeah, Wendy, it's a, it's a grainy video, and we saw some still pictures, but you can see some dark hair. Um, you see her put a towel over her lap. It looks like she's doing some movement, which apparently was something Steve said she kept near her. This was a, a thing that she frequented. Uh, this place, you know, can't really say how much, but she made the same order apparently uh, all the time, which was kind of an unusual order, egg whites and, and what have you. Um, you can see that there's movement in the car, although I'd have to study the video to see that, you know, it looks like there's movement in a dog. I'd have to look at it some more. Um, you don't see a face facial features, you do see dark hair. I could see dark hair. Um, you see some movement in the car when she's at the, not ordering, but she's at the, uh, the menu. You can see that. Um, but, you know, it's not real cut clear, you know, but definitely they, they also have her phone and things that are linked with tracking, and this is something that she apparently did a lot. It's grainy, but it, it looks like her car, and you can see dark hair and movement in a dog. Sheriff Smith notes that Steve Krentel was also brought in to look at it, and in fact, the FBI has analyzed the video as well. But then he adds that they're still holding back on releasing the video to the public. We want to release it to the media, but there's some things that came up this morning uh, and now watching the video. There was the, the, just some, some cars that were in the drive up behind her. We want to try to see their transactions and uh, if we can pinpoint the make and model of the cars that were maybe in line behind her. So that, that gives me reservation on whether we should release the video to the media and to the public at this point. It's worth noting the video still hasn't been released to the public to this day, almost four years later. So any questions about the video, we can't release that right now, but we were able to provide it and show it. We saw some cars behind uh, Nan and some cars in the parking lot, so it's good to check those out, you know? And make sure before we put it out to the public. See what they're saying? And with that, the conversation takes a turn. Nanette's sister, Kim Watson, a prosecutor in Nebraska, wonders why it's taken a year to check out the other cars around Nanette's vehicle. Why it's still holding up the release of the video to the public. Why wouldn't that have been done a year ago? You know what I'm saying? Those cars didn't disappear today. I mean, why wouldn't we have checked those cars out within the last year? Why are we doing that now? Well, I saw the video this morning and realized had we verified those vehicles to make the model and anything else that could be related to it. Uh, and that's going back to check to see what their transactions may or may not have been. Was there an order? Was there, you know, is there anything that could relate to any car in the parking lot that may be on that video? The video and with that being said, I just have a hard time. Uh, I just I'm reserved of releasing it right now to the media until we at least have those questions answered. It might not be much of an answer as far as her family's concerned, but they move on, asking then about the camera that allegedly captured Nanette driving down Philip Smith Road near her house the morning of the fire. In the morning before she left. Was there anything that was around? I mean, that place is 
there any cars that you checked into beforehand that maybe were there or drove up? But we got her leaving on that same camera on Philip Smith Road. Uh, but before she left? No, there's nothing. We got the whole day's worth. Mm -hmm. There's nothing is, uh, before or, or after her car had passed. Is the uh, video at, on Philip Smith Road, does that clearly show her face? No, it's not going to clearly show her face. Then they ask about the video system at the house. Could that have captured any evidence of what was going on that day, before or after the fire? You'll remember the DVR used to capture the video in the house was badly damaged. Weren't they supposed to have a lot of video equipment, Steve and Nan? Yeah, we have that. There was a video recorder with a hard drive and, uh, and the uh, system they had in place was a, a good system. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we were able to recover what was left of the hard drive. We actually sent that to the FBI as well to see if there was any way possible to analyze any of the material video that could have been stored within. And of course, the, uh, the results were negative because it was too bad to destroy it. Well, I don't really know about, I mean, I just got my first smartphone, but doesn't all this go into the cloud? No, we checked into that. It was like that was one of your questions. Okay. It so it just records that the system. Like only, only information that was saved would have been in the hard drive, uh, in the, the monitor and the hard drive that was into the system. We did verify that. The conversation about video evidence or lack thereof comes to an end. They move on, turning now to the gun that was discovered near where Nanette's body was found. Sheriff Smith notes that all of the guns owned by Steve and Nanette were ultimately accounted for. Were they where they're supposed to be, like in a safe, or were they kept them, or were they moved? So there was, we, we looked into the, and that was a good question because we were on the impression there was a safe, and that it's a safe, I think of a safe as a fire protection that, that, that you put things you wouldn't use on a day-to-day -day basis, passports, birth certificates, guns, ammo, ammo uh, currency, I don't know. The, 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 first of all, it wasn't a safe, it was a gun cabinet, so it was destroyed. Now the guns were, were still in the house, all the guns have been accounted for, but it wasn't a safe, that it was a smaller safe that uh, they kept papers and stuff like that in. But it, but it was anything, and it was pretty much destroyed. The conversation winds on before they get to Brian. Brian Crennel, Steve's brother. As we've previously talked about, Brian was actually on video surveillance at his mom's house the day of the fire. The brother, Brian Crennel, and there's been suspicions of him. Uh, Steve's mother, Brian lives with Steve's mother, uh, they have a video surveillance system at the house. Uh, and that entire day, Brian is on video surveillance at the house. Uh, he doesn't have a vehicle. Uh, he uses a bicycle for transportation. Now, obviously, I guess anybody could loan him a vehicle or whatever, you know, but he's actually on video. You can see him at the house on that particular day. Is the mother on the video as well? She's there sometimes, uh, which she left, I think. So according to video evidence, Steve's brother Brian and their mother were home most of the day. But what if there was someone else involved? Someone who could have helped or even carried out the murder? And, and that's why I specifically asked the follow-up question is that 
you know, I call it the accomplice theory. If, if the accomplice theory is still out there, meaning he had an accomplice on Friday, um, then I'd like to rule out some of the people who are possible accomplices. And that's why perhaps there's video of the mother that corresponds with the time or not. And, um, mm-hmm. Good point, good point. And uh, we don't know that answer right now, but we will get it. Because we're still very interested in, in Brian, for sure. And Brian actually showed up at the fire scene that day, something that still bothers Amy. Well, if Nan was so afraid of him that she expressed that, she did express that to us, why would he be here? And if he hated her so much, you know, why would he be here? But the conversation moves on. Up next... Steve's whereabouts the morning and afternoon leading up to the fire. Steve was, uh, we saw him, his vehicle, leave that morning. Uh, his cell phone was plotted by the FBI. He goes to the fire station. He's around the fire station. Several people at the fire station have come before him throughout the day. Went and met some people at lunch at Outback. Uh, and his phone was plotted back to the fire station where he was there until he got the call about his house on fire. As it turns out, Steve was late to work the day Nanette was found dead. Now, some of the firemen have said in that, I read that thing, that he was, he mentioned he was late for work and, and kind of apologized being late for work because he had a rough morning because it was the six-month anniversary of his dad's death. Uh, so he pointed out that he was late. And after they found out Nan was shot, they thought, well, that's weird that he even mentioned that because he's the boss, you know, we would not have even known he's late, but that particularly was he there every Friday at that time, and what a hard morning he had, he was crying in the shower. Is that right, Mr. Dan? No, that's what Steve said. Okay. No, I, no, I, I had firemen tell me that, that he is typically not there on a Friday, and that that Friday he came in upset, he said he was sorry he was late, that he uh, was in the shower, uh, a little longer because it was the six-month anniversary of his dad's death, and they thought that was very odd. You have to remember there's a lot of firemen at the department that, you know, there's some that are with him on his side, but, you know, supporting, but there's a lot of them. I don't know who was saying that info, but there's a lot of people that don't care for Steve Olson. At this point, one of the investigators asks Nanette's sister, Wendy, to tell them exactly who at the fire station talked to her about Steve's behavior on the day of the fire. And the conversation takes another turn. Wendy, you can clear this up right now. If you tell Detective Buckner the people who you heard it from. I told them. I have met with them and I've told them all the people they need to interview. No, I, 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 no I, I'm asking you to tell Detective Buckner right now the here, Amy mentions handing over the list of firefighter names to Major George Cox, then Chief of Investigations at the Sheriff's Office. Interviewing them because the fire marshal is part of the arson. You are part of the murder. Nanette's family digs in on this the idea that there are more people at the fire station to talk to, even now, over a year later. After they found out she was shot, they said, You know, I wonder if the family knows some things are not making sense. And they reached out via, I think, social media to Wendy, and that's how they 
and let us know that some things had been going on there that just didn't make sense. And that went on to its own thing. But we did not know. Then we heard of the affair. And like going to now, okay, does, does having an affair mean you committed murder? No. Does having two affairs mean you commit murder? No. Does asking girls to slide, slide down poles at the fire department with no underwear, does that mean you haven't, you killed somebody? No. But does that show character? Yes. Sheriff Smith agrees to go back through the list of firefighters at the station and call them again, but he doesn't seem hopeful any new information will come to light. But Nanette's sister, Wendy, isn't letting up. We have been telling you that they have information for you guys, but they don't necessarily trust you because everything that's been leaked within your department. I mean, for goodness sake, Daniel, the night of my sister's uh, memorial... Steve calls my brother and tells my brother that you are leaning towards suicide. I call you and I tell you that there is absolutely no way I would I would bet my only child that my sister would never, never shoot herself. And you tell me that women shoot themselves all the time. They shoot their children. They shoot their husbands. They, they can possibly shoot their pets. And so that's when I told you I did not trust you. We have been giving you a list. We, I have been taking time out of my busy schedule to fly home and meet with you guys and tell you that people want to talk, but they don't know necessarily who to trust. And we give you a list of people that have information. And to this day, you still have not interviewed these people. Wendy, can I ask you a question? This is Sergeant Hotard, Major Crimes Unit. So you talk to all these firemen. What evidence do they have or have they brought to your attention? Did any of them witness anything that day? Well, I mean, a lot of circumstantial evidence, considering that the fire pretty much destroyed everything. I mean, the house... What facts do they have, and what evidence do they have that have anything to do with this with We have a lot of circumstantial evidence that's very pertinent to someone that could possibly plan a murder that doesn't have... You know, like, my brother-in-law is never typically there on a Friday. That's... That's pretty pertinent information. Sheriff Smith jumps in here, mentioning the internal investigation into the affair and other workplace allegations that led to Steve's suspension. Well, we agree. And, and you know, we have got a judge's order and a, a subpoena for all the records pertaining to the recent internal investigation of the Civil Service Board uh, involving the complaint filed against Steve. It's boxes of it's boxes of statements, boxes of reports, and Detective Buckner is steadily going through each and every day all these reports. If we find something that's inconsistent or untruthful with any of those compared to those we have already interviewed, we are going to bring them in. But Wendy isn't done. She continues. I mean, these these firemen. This is circumstantial evidence that could help in a case where all, everything was pretty much destroyed. And, and you're right. We're looking at everything possible. We will follow up on the list again on everybody. Even if we... No, we've interviewed a lot of people. We're going to re-interview a lot of people. We're not going to stop. We're going to continue. Because you're right. I have to agree with you. One of these individuals may remember something or have something that they've not been forthcoming with that they may now remember or say, hey, he's no longer a threat to me or my job. He's gone. I do have something I want to say. The family isn't letting it go, though. The idea that Steve has something to hide or isn't telling the whole truth. You say, continually say, that Steve's upfront and honest with you. 
So we've given you instances where Steve has not been up on honest, and you still stay with that same story that you have nothing to believe other than the fact that Steve has been up on and honest with you. And we have called you and given you instances where Steve is not up on and honest, and you still back him up. And I have a problem with that. I haven't backed him up at all. Uh, I took facts that were presented, and I go with the facts. I can't go by what somebody says uh, they heard. We're now over 90 minutes into this phone call. And at this point, Nanette's father, Dan Watson, goes back to the video of Brian Krentel, the one showing Brian at home on the day of the fire. I had a question. Were the video that was taken of Brian on the day of the fire, were, was that timestamped, uh, verified? Yes. Kim Watson's boyfriend, Randy Grotkin, jumps in here. How was it verified? How was it? How was it verified? Because Steve, from what we've been told, is the one that set that video up and knows a lot about video surveillance. And uh, anybody that knows a lot and knows how to set it up could have put any date they want on a recording that happened two weeks prior. But it, the time displayed on the DVR corresponds with the current time. So if somebody planned it ahead, they could just make sure the time on the DVR was correct to match the video, and it could have been recorded earlier. Seize the DVR. And there was nonstop, and there was nonstop video from that Friday till the day it was seized. I don't remember if it's nonstop video or not. Well, do you get why I'm asking? Because if it's not nonstop, it could have been stopped, changed, and corrected between that time. Nothing we have found that shows that. Okay, and then. Okay, and then see if there's any tampering with such stuff, the hard drive or the video that we that we seized in a search warrant that we issued. In other words, the family is latching on to the idea that the video and the timestamp might not tell the full story. The sheriff agrees to let the FBI look into that. Randy, a firefighter himself, then hones in on the guns found at the scene of the fire. And then when were the firearms recovered? When, like a specific date? Yeah, because I, I'm, I, you said you recovered the firearms from the scene, but, and I don't know how you guys do things down there, but up here, all firearms are recovered and the scene is checked over before it's released. Uh, to the family or, you know, before they release a scene at all. And I'm curious um, when you recovered the firearms and why it was released so early. Well, it wasn't the, the day of the fire, because uh, obviously the day of the fire, we didn't know that she was shot. It wasn't until autopsy when we knew that. Uh, and she saw According... According to the coroner, he informed the sheriff's department that she was shot the next morning, which would have been Saturday morning. Correct. That's the date of autopsy. So my, back to my question, wondering when the firearms were recovered and why, why the scene was released so... Looking for items within 
after you released the scene. Correct. We released it. Uh, Fire Marshal did their processing with it, released it, and then we went back under search warrant again after we realized uh, the first two guns collected didn't match the projectile uh, from the autopsy. You might not be surprised the question of the timing of the scene being released is coming up. It was an issue early on for Nanette's family, the first day they arrived in Louisiana. They were shocked the scene was wide open. And it's still an issue today. My other question would be, why did they release the scene so early when you knew there was a gunshot involved? Uh, That would be a question I really don't have an answer to at this point. I guess you'd have to, to talk with the fire marshals about that. Why would we talk? When there's a gun on a scene, I said to them, okay, we talked to the sheriff's department. They said they couldn't hold the scene because of Steve's civil rights. So then it was because it was was y'all's scene at that point. So when I called them and asked them that question, and they said, well, I'd rather not comment. I talked to Mr. Ropeek. He said, I'd rather not comment. He said, but all I can say is maybe the sheriff's office is uninformed or mistaken about who should be in control of the scene at first with this. So that's why I think it's a little frustrating because, you know, and, and Mr. Cox had told us, Major Cox, that y'all comb the scene for three days and all that. But when I left at 9.34 that night, I saw the tape and I said, okay, this scene is contained. Something's not right. Because of the background, they'll know that because they know what they're doing. And they're going to, like, have ATF, FBI, y'all, everybody in there looking at that. So she was in the body bag, she was in the van, and that's when we left. And then we hear, when was Steve allowed on the scene? Because I know Mr. Dan and them were down Monday and he had already been on it. So you're saying there was a gun later there, but, I mean, there, it when the, I mean, everything was down. Like, when I left, you could tell, like I said, it was, that was an accelerant. But my family worked in law before, and I've talked to somebody who saw some of the pictures, and apparently there's hot spots around there. So if that's the case, that there's hot spots all around, and possibly there was a door locked and all, and somebody was let on the scene, okay, and I'm not even a fire chief, but if my husband had been killed in a fire like that, I'd have said, insisted, I don't want to go on that scene, make me a suspect, make her a suspect, make everybody a suspect, but I'm not going on that scene because y'all do your job, please, and see what's on there. So I'm not even a fire marshal, that's what I a person, and I'd have said that. So if that wasn't said, and, and you know, you would think that you wouldn't even go on there, but it was released, even though y'all took it back, and we appreciate that and did that, that it was already tampered with, and it wasn't that long, I heard, that he was allowed to go back on the scene. That doesn't make sense that he did it, but it means, you know, how were those hot spots? When it was, was it set by gasoline? They took samples, and yes, there was positive for an accelerant. How many places? We still do not have that report. We don't have that report. You don't have that report yet? They still are not Nanette's sister, Wendy, continues, and you can hear the frustration in her voice. She's not asking about the video of Brian or the McDonald's video or the scene being released. Nothing specific. She's just talking about her sister. And, you know, it wasn't like she she was uh, hopeless and she had nothing to, you know, she's going to meet somebody, um, different things. Apparently her phone, she called somebody, I don't know, wrong number or what. But then you decide, which I guess you could, 
in that case, because there's no way I don't think that she could just go around the house completely pour it, and then possibly, now I'm going to, you know, I don't know, shoot or not shoot the animals, but they're going to go with me in this. Um, I would think, I mean, I'm not her, that I would have given the animals away or let them out the door if this was going to transpire, because, you know, she was known for stopping people in cars, and their animals were in there and waiting for them and going to call the police and stuff. So, okay, but this just goes against her, you know, things that, that she usually was, and then I'm going to somehow pour gasoline to me, and I'm going to set a fire, and I'm going to blow my brains out and do all this. Was any accelerant on the body? So, are y'all still considering suicide on the table that we keep hearing about? No, 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 no. We're not considering anything. It was just brought up. Yeah. And, you know, even meeting with the coroner's office, uh, not once, but several times, you know, they, you know they're, they're, they were under the impression that, look, we're 70, 75 percent certain this is a homicide, which we agree with, but then that leaves a 25 percent, 30 percent. Despite the discussion you're hearing, Sheriff Smith again states they'll continue to investigate Nanette's death as a homicide. We're still looking at it as a homicide. We're still looking at everything in the totality of all the evidence that we do have to work with. We need to come up with that they ruled it a homicide, so we're going to work it as that. They start to move on, but Randy Grotkin jumps in again. Hold on, hold on. We, we, we kind of got off track. Can we stick on one subject at a time? I never did hear an okay. answer as to why you released the scene so quickly. The scene was actually released by the, the fire marshal. They were conducting an arson investigation into the fire. And we were there to support them and work with them. It wasn't until they released the scene that we were notified that, hey, this could be a homicide or was a, this determined to be a homicide. Then we go back and take over that scene, which was released by the fire marshal, not us. Well, that's and not... We started, now, now, I'm not trying to get argumentative with you, but that's not consistent with what uh, Major Cox told Dan... Uh, um, Kim and myself with you in the room, Sheriff, when he said it was because you didn't have search warrants, and then we dug a little later and found out that was not the case in Louisiana, that you needed them to hold a scene. So I'm just curious why the inconsistency. I'm talking about that. Do you remember the, the rollout on that? We would hold a scene until the search warrants are complete once we realized that there's more to this than just a, a, a fire. Sure, we held it when we found the first uh, two guns. Uh, well, obviously, the first gun we found we thought was going to be the gun uh, in this case, and it, it didn't turn out to be. We found another gun, and it didn't turn out to be. And these are all guns that are owned by Nan and Steve. Uh, and it wasn't until later on when we get the results back from the firearm examiner to tell us what, uh, more specifically, what we're looking for when we got the search warrant went back and found the additional guns. Now we're talking about, uh, if you saw the scene beforehand, rubble was pretty, you know, if that's how you want to say, rubble and ash was pretty, pretty deep all across that slab. It, it uh, was. I seen the scene Monday morning. I was on it. 
And um, we also seen a gun in plain sight, an AR-style gun that was left behind by the law enforcement. Okay. And, and I'm just... And that's fine. I guess we're back to my same question is why why were we told it was released to Steve because you didn't have a search warrant, but that's not what you need to hold a scene in Louisiana. I, that's our confusion, why it was released, and we're just looking for the real answer as to why it was released. The only thing I can tell you is, is the miscommunication. Uh, I don't know what, what that is. Uh, I can't answer that. Well, the sheriff's there. He was in the room. Right. It wasn't our scene until we realized that basically that there was a body in place. And at that point, we weren't aware it was a homicide. But you knew it was a gunshot Saturday morning before it was released, so that's why we're confused. And, and only because our experience with crime scenes up here, you would never release a scene when you know there's a gunshot wound and you don't know a cause of death yet. So we're curious... And I'm not trying to pin you down. I just, we really want an answer no, no, as to why right. it was released. I understand. And it shouldn't have been released. But did we release it or did the fire marshal release it? It was their scene to begin with. From what, from what Major Cox, from what Major Cox told us in the room when you were there, Sheriff, was that you guys released it because you didn't have any search warrant. I agree. I I agree with you. That's why we're confused with that answer, and we didn't question it in the room with you that day because Louisiana has some weird laws compared to up north here, and we wanted to right. uh, make sure before we stuck our foot in our mouth. But after we checked on that, that made no sense because there there's no reason to release a scene just because you don't have a search warrant at the time. The question of who released the scene and why is still unclear. They move on. They ask investigators about the woman who Steve had an affair with during his marriage. Why investigators haven't followed up more on that front. This has been an ongoing affair, not for a year or two. It's been an eight-year ongoing affair that he has had with this woman. We'll, we'll revisit her. We'll track her down and... Then, after more than two hours, Sheriff Smith starts to wrap things up. Any other questions? We wrap this up real quick. And uh, again, thank y'all very much for allowing us to invite y'all and, and showing up and uh, just getting a follow up on where we're at, where we're going. And you gave us a lot of good information again that we we need to go back and recheck and starting with the video and some, some other things that we brought up today, including our conversation earlier this morning with Steve. And I do have the utmost uh, confidence in, in Detective Buckner. I may be pushing him a little harder now, but it's just something that needs to be done. Finally, almost two hours and 12 minutes since the meeting began, it ends. All right, thank you. You guys have a good day. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, y'all. Thanks. This meeting highlights a lot of what Nanette's family still doesn't understand about the investigation, their frustrations, lingering questions about the fire scene being released, the video from McDonald's the morning of the fire. Even today, you could still hear the frustration about that video in the voice of Nanette's sister, Wendy Watson. 
Months after that meeting with the sheriff and investigators, she would get a look at the video herself. So maybe about eight months later, I went in town and they let me see the video. And it was grainy, could tell nothing. And I'm like, okay, so you're telling me that this is what you've been holding on to. And you've been telling me for almost, for two years now that you could definitely tell that that was Nan. So if that was your sister in that car and, and you were sitting in front of investigators and they were telling you for almost two years that they, they knew and they could tell that that was your sister and you were mean, you were sitting in this meeting right now and you were me watching this, would you be happy with that, with that video of your sister? And none of them said a thing. And I said, that's all I have to say. I'm like, it's pathetic. I cannot believe that this is what you've been holding on to for two years. And this is the alibi that you've been going on. And this is, you know, the evidence that you have. And it's, it means nothing. You can't see the license plate. It does look like her car. But that's about mm-hmm. the extent of it. And you, can, you can't see anything in the car. You can't see a body figure or anything. There is motion. There is, like, motion in the car that's very blurry. But you, can, if you can't distinguish if it's an arm, if it's a leg, if it's a dog. You don't know what it is. There's just blurry motion going on in the car. That's all you see. There's nothing. There's no human uh, silhouette. There's nothing. There's no dog silhouette. Nothing. There's no purse. Hmm. There's no image of anything in the car except motion of some blurry motion. That's it. That's all you see. And the fact that they said that you you could totally see it was her, and they identified her in the car, and they identified that it was her car. And the the meeting that they had with my sister and my brother while Nan's dad and me and the other siblings were on the phone, that's when they decided they were going to maybe interview some cars in the parking lot to see if they remember anything. But that's a year and a half later. Is anybody going to remember that a year and a half later? They would have remembered that day if somebody would have reached out to them. And they'd be like, you were at McDonald's today, and this woman came through, and now she was, you know, burned in her home. Do you remember this car? You think they're going to remember that day? They're not going to remember. Yeah. I mean, that's just bad police work and just sloppy, sloppy police work. Later on, I talked to my friend and reporter, Sarah Fagonis, about the video of Nanette ordering food at McDonald's. It never has been released to the public. Um, it's been, it was two years in July. Mm-hmm. We've never seen it. Um, I've, I've been told that, that family members only recently saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, those who did see it felt it, felt it was not conclusive. Um, they've been very um, protective of the information when they finally did tell us that, that she'd been to a business, they wouldn't really say what it was, although we had off-the-record information that it was the McDonald's. I'm not sure why that was so important to keep quiet. But um, it's our understanding that um, that at some point they indicated they were going to make it public, but that never happened. In that meeting, the family heard from the sheriff that he wanted to check out all the cars that were around her in the drive-thru. But that meeting was more than a year after the murder. Yeah, more than a year later, they they wanted to see, they wanted to run down makes and models of the cars and see if they could get a hold of people, presumably to interview them to see if they remembered anything. 
But what are you going to remember about a trip to McDonald's a year later? Uh, a week later, what do you remember about the car ahead of you, unless something really unusual happened? Right. Unless they bought your meal or something. You're, you're looking at your phone or you're trying, you know, wondering how long it's going to take them to make your Egg McMuffin. You're not going to be scrutinizing your surroundings to that degree. Right. More than two years have gone by since this meeting back in August 2018, and Nanette's homicide is still unsolved. But the story's not over. And over time, the ripples of this case would ensnare others, people who came forward, perhaps with good intentions, but with costly results. Next time on Beyond Bardstown, Lacombe. I think there's also the real fact that Nanette's killer is still out there. Yeah, and it seems like nobody cares, but a lot of that goes back to they don't believe that she was murdered, right? Like, it's clear that they don't believe that. When did you start talking to Steve? Can you talk about that? Sure. Beyond Bardstown, Lacombe is a Vault Studios and WWL-TV production. You can learn more about our podcasts, including The Daily Crime and True Crime Chronicles at vaultstudios.com. Special thanks to WWL-TV News Director Keith Esperos and visual journalist Derek Waldrop. Vault Studios executive producers are Brian Weiss and Will Johnson. Reed Redman is our writer and producer. Richard Humphreys at Tacoma Media in Silver Spring, Maryland, mixes and edits the show. For Vault Studios, I'm Katie Moore. Love.